On September the 24th, 2018, there was a TV drama. It was their pilot that started, and it was called Manifest. Um, has anyone seen Manifest? So our family was hooked into it. <laughs> it is a uh, story of where a group of passengers were leaving Jamaica, and they were heading to New York City. And they were on Montego flight, air flight, 282. 282. They experienced some turbulence on the way. And uh, when they landed at Stewart International Airport in Newburgh, New York, the plane's 191 passengers were informed by... NSA Deputy Commander Robert Vance that they had lost five and a half years of their life. They were presumed to be dead for that five and a half years. Now, many of the passengers of 828 began to experience things in their, their life, something different. Um, they began to have guiding voices. They began to have visions of things that had not yet happened, but yet would happen as things began to unfold. Even the loved ones that they were around could see that things were not the same as they were before. 828, that was the flight they were on. Before the flight left Jamaica, one of the main characters of the story, Michaela, her and her mom were sitting in the airport when they announced that there was going to have to be a separation of all of those that were going to go back to New York, and they had volunteers that would take the second flight, 828. What was interesting was that her mother opened her Bible, very faithful woman, and she read to Michaela Romans 828. Now, for every episode that was to follow, 828, Romans 828 had something to play in the story. It's very interesting how it unfolded. The problem is, is after three seasons, NBC decided that we're not sure that we're going to finish the story and make the fourth season. And so they left us hanging. I have no clue how things ended up. I can tell you that over and over again, the passengers, the families, and the NSA were trying to figure out what in the world happened to Flight 828. Now, again, I can't answer that question. I can do this for you this morning. I can answer the question of what 828 means to us when it comes to Romans. And so this is an interesting passage this morning. In fact, it is a passage that gives us the end game. 
Now, Robert Vance and the others tried to find an end game. What did it mean that they lost five and a half years of their life? What did it mean and what was happening? Today, Paul gives us an understanding because if you were to look at the book of Romans, as you get to this passage and as we get into the passage next week from Romans 28 to 39 is the pinnacle, it's the pinnacle piece of the book of Romans. And Paul is helping to reveal the end game, essentially letting us know how everything is working, what God has, has relayed to us, revealed to us from Romans 1.1 up till now, Romans 8.28. He has taken us through this journey. It's been a long journey thus far that we have taken together, a journey that sometimes has been hard to understand, a journey sometimes as we've studied these passages prior to 828, those that were tedious, those that were often confusing, those that called us to confess, those that called us to lead a different life, those that called us away from living in today's world and living for Christ. It required us to think, to understand what God was saying as we, as a family of God, sons and daughters of who he is and what he has done. In fact, to 828 of Romans, God has journeyed with us, revealing to us the work that he has done through Jesus Christ, his son. That's what we've been studying. That's what we've been teaching and preaching about. Paul has laid out that we as humankind, human beings, have rebelled against God. He has shown us that we have failed to live into God's purpose. He has shown us, no matter how hard we try, that we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Therefore, we stand condemned before God. Yet, Paul tells us in a stunning revelation that God has taken care of us. You remember the text? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but if we stop there, we would be lost. We don't stop there. We go to 24 and it says, Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption and what's the rest of that verse? Which is through Christ Jesus our Lord. He has told us what God has done. He has told us what God has done. And in the first part of verse 25, he says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a sacrifice, in his blood, through faith. This is what God has done for us. And so God makes us right with him through no action of our own. It is completely and totally by God's grace. Completely and totally by God's grace. How do we know that? Look at Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. And that, not of your own self, 
It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is what God has done for us. When we have surrendered our heart, when we have given our heart to God, this marvelous grace comes into us. We fall in love with God. We love God more than ourselves. We love Jesus and give our allegiance to him instead of having allegiance to the world in which we live. We seek God. We live for God when we love him. We desire to have God's rule and will in our life. We desire to have a purpose that's God's purpose. We find ourselves in Christ and find that Christ is in us. As we looked last week, we also see that the Holy Spirit is in us and also not just in us and working with us and comforting us and guiding us, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with the Father, intercedes for us. Our misguided prayers, our wants and our wishes, the Holy Spirit transforms those words and those prayers into meaning before God the Father. All of this Paul has set forth. Paul has set forward to show us what God is up to in our lives, in our lives who those who love him. God is conforming us into the image of his Son. That is his desire. In fact, that is the end game. I want you just to consider for a moment what it means that you would be formed in the image, conformed, transformed in the image of God the Son. Have you ever thought about that? That, that God is transforming you in the likeness of his Son? That's his end game. That's what he wants. He wants that. He wants us from the beginning of our relationship with him, brought into perfection in the day that we get to meet him. He has captured our hearts through the gospel. We trust in him. We love him. And he molds us to be like him. Somebody ought to say praise the Lord or amen or hallelujah or something. I mean, good gracious. Do you get what the Lord has done? That he wants Ron to be the likeness of his son. He wants us as believers to be in the likeness of his son. Let's look at these three verses. As I said, these are pinnacle verses and leading into next week's passage, which is a passage I dearly love. I love all of this. I've said as we started uh, uh, this chapter that this is one of, I didn't say the only one, so don't come and you know, hit me up after the service. This is one of the greatest chapters in the New Testament, if not in all of Scripture, from beginning to end. Bruce said this morning, when you finish chapter 8, you need to go back to chapter 6 and just do it all over again, back through chapter 8. It's that important for everyone to understand. Here are these verses, starting with verse 28 through 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he has he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, he, Christ, would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he has predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Thanks be to God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for us through this, your precious word. We pray this in your name. Amen. If any one of you or anyone comes to you and says, you can lose your salvation, I want you to point them to Romans 8, 28 through 39. Now, we'll get into 31 through 39 next week and just reiterate and help you understand, but there is no way that you can read verses 28, 29, and 30, and not have the assurity, the assurance, the security that your faith is whole in Jesus Christ. What he's done for you cannot be taken from you. So with that said, again, somebody should have said praise the Lord. We often use this verse, you hear it quoted by many Christians, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God. Now, I will tell you that many stop there. They don't finish the verse. They, they leave off to those who are called according to his purpose because that, that kind of changes things a little bit. If we read this, if we don't read this verse carefully, we can interpret this verse to say, if I love God, then everything will work out for my good. Now, I will tell you that's actually a factual statement because here's why. The end game is that we know the victory. We know the end. We know that God is going to cause everything to work to his good, that one day everything will be set right. One day those of us who believe in him will be with him. God will have the last word, and I will tell you, it will be good. It will be good. Thank you, Jesus. We proclaim that all evil will be bound and cease to exist. We proclaim that the blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will raise, be raised. And we believe that. I believe that. I guess I can't speak for you, but I hope you believe that. And he will make everything new, everything, new heaven and a new earth. We believe that. That's the long view. You remember a few weeks ago I said, you know, as we suffer, as we go through this life, we have to keep our focus on him and, the end, and what he's going to do and how we are going to be with him, and that helps us through those times that we are suffering. See, we need to focus on the long view, the end game. And then we can say everything will work out for my good. But if we don't keep the long view in mind, if we do not keep this view in mind, there are three problems that will arise. And I want to give you those three problems. The first is 
often our definition of what good is. Our definition of good doesn't always have this long view in mind, and here's what I mean by that. Often we look at what is good as my wants and my desires. In other words, God will work all things out the way I want them to be worked out. God will work everything out to what I consider good, my desires. If I love God, then everything that I want and desire will come to me. That's a problem. When I was a freshman in high school, now my wife will tell you that um, I was a playboy because I, I had so many girlfriends through, throughout high school. Um, that is not true. <laughs> you, you can't say that you've got maybe six or eight girlfriends through four years of high school and say that you're a playboy. I don't think that. <laughs> so when I was a freshman in high school, um, I asked this girl named Cindy out. And I thought I was in love. I mean, I thought, this is, I mean, a 15-year-old in high school, and she shows you a little bit of attention, and uh, you began to, you know, ride your bike 10 miles to go see this, you know, this girl. And so um, weeks passed, and we would talk on the phone, and I got a phone call one day, and Cindy said, um, you know, this was... <laughs> This was after me thanking God over and over again for this girl being in my life and saying, wow, this is the one, God. Thank you so much. And on the other end of the line, Cindy said, um, I'm breaking it off with you. I'm starting dated another guy. You know, what? You don't want this? <laughs> Come on. How in the world? What? You're dating someone else? It was over. I thought, God, come on. This was making me very happy. This is what I wanted. But, you know, God wasn't listening to me, and certainly um, Cindy was done. But, you know, God is in the business of changing our hearts and even at times changing our desires to be for his purpose. In fact, uh, he's in the business of transforming our hearts and desires above all other things so that he becomes first. And this is where we run into a problem. When our view is other than the long view, in other words, focusing on his, what he's doing, the end game that he has for us, when it becomes about us instead of about him, then we have a problem in how we understand this verse. Secondly, there's a problem that occurs that is a fact that not all things are good. Now, I mean, you live in a world, and I'm pretty sure you can say that not all, all you know, that everything that you experience and everything that you see is good. There, there are bad things that are inescapable in this life. At some point, every one of us suffer in some way, in somehow, we have pain, we have sorrow. Every one of us conf uh, confronts the reality of evil, either whether we see it or experience it from someone else. Even death we experience with those around us. Now, I don't, I don't think anyone in the room is dead sitting here, so I would just say you have experienced death through someone else, not yourself. Um, 
But here's what happens. We, it's almost cruel, it's even arrogant for us to think of this verse in a way and sugarcoat it and say to a, maybe a widow who has lost her husband of 60 years to a disease and say, oh, it's okay, it's for the good of God. Just think, you ought to rejoice. He was in no more pain. I mean, that's cruel. We, we don't do that. Oh, you should be happy. Your husband's free. We would never proclaim to parents who's lost a child in a terrible accident, oh, it's good. Let's rejoice in the Lord that your son or daughter's now out of this world. I mean, we don't do that. We don't say that that is good. We don't look at a woman who has been abused by her husband and say, yes, that's good, just stick it out. Oh, come on, God's going to make something good of that. Look, sin is sin, and evil is evil, and sin is evil, and it's never good. It's, it's just never good. And so the things of this world are not necessarily always good, and we will be confronted with those things that aren't good. And you can't sugarcoat it. You cannot simply excuse it. Often we have to wrestle with it. The third and final problem with interpreting this verse without the long view is that the good that we receive becomes contingent on how much that we love God. Now, a lot of television preachers you will hear preach this. This is what they will say. If you aren't having everything you desire, if you aren't receiving all that you want, it's because you don't have enough faith. It's because... If your finances are messed up, it's because you don't give enough. If you would just give all you have to my church, then God would bless you and you would just be filled with all your wants and desires. We interpret this, if we just love more, if we just have more faith, if we just do more, then God's going to give more and everything's going to be perfect. Happy, desires, everything. That's works righteousness. Effectively, we're just saying everything depends on me, what I do, and that's not factual. Now, it's exciting for the folks as things are going well, but man, it's devastating for the folks that are going bad or things are going bad in their life because they're thinking, what, what more can I do? What is it? What is God doing? I think I'm trying to do it all, but I'm still experiencing the things that are bad. So Paul says, no, he chooses his words carefully in this text. If your heart has been captured by the grace of God, if you are desiring God deeply in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in the depths of your very being, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, if the Spirit of Christ is dwelling in you because you have trusted in his Son, Jesus, and the work on the cross, it is not your actions, but his actions that has worked in you. Then God will take every circumstance of your life, everything that has happened to you, every good thing that has happened to you, every bad thing that has happened to you, every mountaintop experience, triumph, every tragedy that you have experienced, he will use it for your benefit 
and for his purpose. And that's where we miss this verse. He will cause everything to be good, those who love the Lord, for his purpose, for his end game. It's not our end game. It's his end game. Now, I'm not going to give you too much time to, to think about that because you're going to begin to, again, think about your definition of good, and Paul gives us a definition of good. You don't, you don't have to, to think about that. God is going uh, through these verses to, to share with us what is good. Our definition of good in the Western world is so much tied up in materialism. But good cannot be defined with health, wealth, and perfection in relationships. Paul doesn't allow us to do that. He immediately goes to verse 29. He immediately, after he says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, he goes to verse 29, you know, and there's no verses we know. There's no chapters. He's writing, and he says in verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he, capital H, Christ, would be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, Christ would be first among all Christians. Christ would be first in all that we are. Paul is showing us the end game as we move through verse 29 and 30 of what God intends. God foreknew us. God looked at us and knew that in our hearts that we would be either transformed through the gospel as it was preached to us or through someone sharing a witness. God knew that we were going to be predestined, conformed to the image of his Son. That's the good that God gives to us. That good he is using for us. The good and the bad he begins to mold in us. That's the good that God uses in the suffering and the tragedy that comes about in our life. Where you see, and you will see it on the screen, God is conforming you to the image and the likeness of Jesus. This is the ultimate of good. And you don't need to correct my English. I meant every word here as it's written. This is the ultimate of good. To become like Christ, and it is not something that you are capable of doing on your own. It is something that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit does as he works in us. Those combined efforts working in us begins to transform us into the likeness of his Son. Look at verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. God, God knows us, foreknew us. Before the foundation of the world, God knew us. Read 1 Peter 1.20. 
Redemption begins with that foreknowledge that, that God knows us and he predestined us to have a saving faith initiated not by us, but by him. I learned a new word this week. Uh, several of us went to Myrtle Beach on Friday to pray over the city. We're looking for a church planter to plant an APC church there. And so this is the second time we've gone down and prayed over the city. And um, we often use the word, God woos us to faith, right? That's a great word, and it's absolutely true. Scripture gives us that. But I want you to think of the word wooing in an acronym. Winning over others. Winning over others. And guess what God is doing? God predestines us. He woos us. And we are won over, and then that end game for him is that we are going to be a witness. We're going to continue to use the word woo in winning others for him. And so God initiates the call. God initiates all. And by that call, then he justifies. It is God through his son, Jesus Christ, that makes us right and makes us righteous before our Father. It is God who will glorify us. He is even using us in this time, in this kingdom today, as we live into the kingdom of God on earth. He is using us to glorify him. And one day we will receive that glorified body and be with him for eternity. Our ultimate glorification will come when we join him. Why has all things work? Why do all things work for the good of those who love Jesus Christ? It's because Jesus has done all things for us. And he begins to transform us through the power of the Spirit to be like him. Folks, God is so good. He is so good. But God isn't finished with us yet. As we live out our life, it's a life that God is transforming. He's in the transformation business. And this is the end game. Now, all of us, and we would have to say this at some point, some of these these words would fit in. We as Christians are imperfect. We are callous. We are uncaring. We are ungrateful. We are unforgiving. We are full of pride. Um, often um, we live hypocritical lives where others outside the church can look at you and say, I thought you were a Christian. But they see and they hear or even see some things that we may do. But God is calling us to be in the likeness of his son. He is wanting to transform our hearts, to transform us to look like his son, to live like his son. Let me ask you a series of questions just for you to think about. Maybe one of them might hit home with some of you. Would you like to have the sense of purpose and drive that goes well beyond existing and earning as much as you can, just existing in this world, would you like more than just that? Would you like to know 
what the work is that God has for you, that meaning and purpose in your life, instead of just the schemes that Satan and the world pose upon you. Would you like to go through life capable of looking at those who hurt you without being angry or overwhelmed? And instead have the capability of loving them and even forgiving them? Would you like to be that person? When you put your trust in Jesus and what he has done by pouring out his love into you and into the world, by taking, not taking the, the wrath of God that you deserve, but receiving the life that God has given you in Jesus Christ. It is then that you become compassionate. It is then that you become caring. It is then that the full desire of having peace and justice and truth for God's purpose lives out in your life. That's his end game, is for us to walk more and more in the likeness of his son. We are to walk by faith. Yesterday, as some of you know, I read uh, Oswald Chambers, and yesterday um, I read this and I thought, well, I want to share a few of these sentences. So this is from the utmost for his highest. And, and just listen to a few of these. Living a life of faith means never knowing where you are being led. But it does mean loving and knowing the one who's leading Faith is rooted in the knowledge of a person, capital P. The one, one of the biggest traps that we fall into is belief that we have something to do with this faith. God will surely lead us to success if we are just loving and faithful. A life of faith is not one glorious mountaintop experience after another like soaring eagles on wings. But it's a life of day-to-day -day consistency, a life of walking without fainting. It is faith that has been tried, faith that is proven, and has withstood the test of time, a faith that is tested and true, and that faith is built on God through his Son, Jesus Christ. And so, this faith that God is calling us to is a faith to be more and more, to live more and more like his son. If we are in this journey with Christ, then our desire is to be Christ-like. Do you find yourself seeking after Jesus? Do you find yourself wanting to worship Jesus more? Do you find yourself wanting to Share God's word with others, the gospel that woos them. Do you find yourself loving people that maybe you didn't love before? Do you find yourself wanting to serve with the gifts God has given you? Do you find yourself wanting to serve in a world that is lost? Do you find yourself wanting your heart to be transformed so that the gifts of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is actually something that you're living into? Do you find yourself becoming less judgmental and more able to relate to people that may not be just like you or have the same point of view or even the same theology as you? Now, notice I didn't say that you have to change your theology or your truth to theirs. But is God calling you? Do you feel that God is calling you to share your truth with others in love? Here's a couple of questions that maybe we need to think about. Do you sense a joy welling up in you from your heart as you think about Jesus? Do you long to sing his praises? Do you pray deeply and earnestly to ask God to make you more like his son? Now there's a question. Do you deeply and earnestly ask God to make you more like his son? The gospel brings about transformation in our hearts and lives. And God has poured out his life for you and for me. He's died so that we might live. And the good news is, as we fall more and more in love with God, as we fall more and more in love with him, he uses everything that we have and everything that we are to change and transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And that is the end game. I will probably never know how Manifest will end and what 828 has to do with those passengers on flight 828, but there is no question in my mind what God has in store for us as we read 828, 9, and 30. It is God's end game. And his end game is for you and I to become more and more like his son. And the more that we do that, and the more we live into that, the more God will use us for his purpose. That's the end of that verse. All things work together for those who love God and live into his purpose. So I'll just leave you with one more question. Are you living into his purpose? Father, thank you for who you are and for what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. Father, your end game is for us to become more and more like you, to share the gospel and be a witness. And one day, that long view is that we're going to join you forever. Thank you. Thank you that you know us, you call us, you justify us and, and even glorify us. Thank you, Father, for all you have done. May we live into the purpose that you have called us for. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.